This is Holden Karnofsky doing an amateur read-through of my blog post, Summary of History, Empowerment and Well-Being Lens. Now that I've finished the most important century series, I'll still be putting out one longer piece per week, but they'll be on toned-down, less ambitious topics, as you're about to see. A few years ago, I made a summary of human history in one table. I linked to it. It's a color-coded Google Sheet. To do this, I didn't need to be and I'm not an expert historian. What I did need to do, and what I found very worth doing, was first, decide on a lens for the summary, a definition of what matters, a way of distinguishing unimportant from important. Second, try to find the most important historical events for that lens and put them all in one table. The lens I chose was empowerment and well-being. That is, I consider historical people and events significant to the degree that they influence the average person's A, options and capabilities, that's empowerment, including the advance of science and technology, and B, health, safety, fulfillment, etc., that's well-being. I'm not saying these are the same thing. It's possible that greater empowerment could mean lower well-being. History through this lens seems very different from the history presented in textbooks. For example, many wars and power struggles barely matter on this lens. My summary doesn't so much as mention Charlemagne or William of Orange, and the fall of the Roman Empire doesn't seem like a clearly watershed event. My summary thinks the development of lenses leading to spectacles, microscopes, and telescopes is far more important. Every twist and turn in gender relations, treatment of homosexuality, and the quality of maternal care and contraception is significant on this lens. These likely matter greatly and systematically for many people's quality of life. I've had trouble finding good broad histories on all of these. The development of most natural sciences and hard sciences is also important, much easier to read about, though the best reading material generally does not come from the history field. The summary I made is simply a color-coded table noting what I see as the most important events in each category during each major time period. It doesn't lend itself to a single graphical summary, although I will be boiling things down more in future pieces by trying to construct a single chart of how quality of life changed for the average person as time passed and empowerment rose. But in the rest of this piece, I'll try to give a sense of what pops out from my summary by going through some historical people and events that seem underrated to me, some that seem overrated, and high-level takeaways. Despite, or because of, my lack of expertise, I found this exercise useful, and I'd recommend that others consider doing their own summary of history. Here are some reasons. You can spend infinite time reading history books and learning about various events, but it's a very different kind of learning to try to find all the highlights for your lens of choice, put them in one place, and reflect on how you'd tell the story of the world yourself if you had to boil it down. I think the latter activity requires more active engagement and is likely to result in better recall of important points. And I think the final product can be useful as well, if only for readers to easily get a pretty thorough sense of your worldview, what seems significant to you, and what disagreements or differences of perspective you have with others. Hopefully my summary is useful to readers for giving a sense of my worldview and my overall sense of what humanity's story is so far. Finally, I think that creating a history summary is a vulnerable thing to do in a good way. It's scary how little just about anyone, emphatically including myself, knows about history. I think the normal way to deal with this is to show off the facts one does know, change the subject away from what one doesn't, and generally avoid exposing one's ignorance. My summary of history says, 
This is what seems most important to me. This is the story as I perceive it. Whatever important pieces I'm ignorant about are now on display for all to see. So take a look at my summary and give me feedback. Next section. Underrated people and events according to the empowerment and well-being lens. First item, Tanzimat. In the mid-19th century, the Ottoman Empire went through a series of reforms that abolished the slave trade, declared political equality of all religions, and decriminalized homosexuality. Most of the attention for early reforms like this tends to focus on Europe and the U.S., but the Ottoman Empire was quite early on these things. Next item, Ibn al-Haytham's treatise on optics. In the early 11th century, an Islamic scholar intensively studied how curved glass lenses bend light and wrote it up, which I would guess turned out to be immensely useful for the development of spectacles, which reached Europe in the 1200s, and later microscopes and telescopes, which were crucial to some of the key scientific revolution work on physics, astronomy, and biology. Next item, the medicine revolution of the mid-19th century. As far as I can tell, medicine for thousands of years did very little at all, and surgery may have killed as many people as it saved over that period. It's not clear to me whether life expectancy improved at all in the thousands of years prior to the mid-19th century. But the mid-19th century saw the debut of anesthesia, which knocks out the patient and makes it easier to operate, and sterilization with carbolic acid, reducing the risk of infection. There's a nice New Yorker article about these that I linked to. Many more medical breakthroughs would follow, to put it mildly, and now health looks like possibly the top way in which the world has improved. One analysis, which I linked to, estimates that the value of improved life expectancy over the last hundred years or so is about as big as all measured growth in world output over that period. Not too far into this revolution, Paul Ehrlich, the turn of the 20th century chemist, not the author of The Population Bomb, looks like he came up with a really impressive chunk of today's drug development paradigms. As far as I can tell, it had been discovered that when you put a clothing dye into a sample under a microscope, it would stain some things and not others, which could make it easier to see. Ehrlich reasoned from here to the idea of targeted drug development, looking for a chemical that would bind only to certain molecules and not others. This seems like the beginning of this idea. He developed the first effective treatment for syphilis and also laid the groundwork for the basic chemotherapy idea of delivering a toxin that targets only certain kinds of cells. And this was only a fraction of his contributions to medicine. It's hard to think of someone who's done more for medicine. Articles I've read imply that he had to deal with a fair amount of skepticism and anti-Semitism in his time, but at least today, everyone who hears his name thinks of a different guy with the same name who lost a well-known bet. Next item. Porphyry, the Greek vegetarian. Did you know that there was an ancient Greek who was, according to Wikipedia, an advocate of vegetarian on spiritual and ethical grounds? He wrote on abstinence from animal food, advocating against the consumption of animals, and he is cited with approval in vegetarian literature up to the present day. Is it just me, or is that more impressive than, well, Aristotle? Next item. The rise of the modern academic system in the mid-20th century. I believe that government funding for science skyrocketed after World War II, and that this period included the creation of the NSF and DARPA, and a general skyrocketing demand for professors. My vague impression is that this is when science turned into a real industry and mainstream career track. My summary also thinks that science had a lower frequency of well-known breakthroughs after this point. Next item, underrated negative trend, the rise of factory farming. 
The clearest case, in my view, in which the world has gotten worse with industrialization, and note that institutionalized homophobia arose before industrialization and seems to be in decline now, unlike factory farming. I think that really brutal factory-like treatment of animals began in the 1930s and has mostly gotten worse over time. Next item, underrated negative trend, the relatively recent rise of institutionalized homophobia. I believe that bad and inegalitarian gender relations are as old as humanity, more on this in a future post, and slavery is at least as old as civilization. But institutionalized homophobia may be more of a recent phenomenon. My impression is that it came into being sometime around 0 AD and gradually swept most of the globe, though I'm definitely not confident in this and would love to learn more. Next item, the foundations of probability and statistics. Can you name the general time periods for the creation of the line chart, bar chart, pie chart, the idea of probability, the idea of the normal distribution, Bayes' theorem, and the first known case control experiment? Seems like the answer could be just about anything, right? Turns out it was all between 1760 and 1812. All three charts came from William Playfair, and a lot of the rest came from Laplace and Gauss. Not too much of note happened after that until the end of the 19th century, when Francis Galton and Carl Pearson, not always working together, came up with the modern concepts of standard deviation, correlation, regression analysis, p-values, and more. I think it's pretty interesting that so many of the things that are so foundational to pretty much any quantitative analysis anyone does of anything were invented in a couple relatively recent spurts. Next item, metallurgy. A huge amount of history's scientific and technological progress is crammed into the last few hundred years. But I think the story of metallurgy is different, much longer and more gradual, and I link to some major innovations from 5000 BC, 2000 BC. I wish I could find a source that compactly goes through the major steps here and how they came about. I guess it was mostly trial and error since so much of it was before the scientific revolution, but I'd like to know whether that's right. Mathematics also has its major breakthroughs much more evenly spread throughout history than fields such as physics, chemistry, and biology, where it's really heavily concentrated in the last few hundred years. Next section. Overrated people and events according to the empowerment and well-being lens. Overrated people and events would include the vast majority of rulers, wars, and empires rising and falling. Special shout-out to, first, the Roman Empire, which I can barely see any sign of, either in quality-of-life metrics, which I'll discuss in future posts, or in key empowerment and well-being events. Most of the headlines from this period came from China or the Islamic Empire. If I taught a history class... I'm not entirely sure I would mention the Roman Empire. And second, ancient Greece, which is renowned for its ideas and art, but doesn't seem to have been home to any notable improvements in quality of life. No sustained or effective anti-slavery pushes, no signs of feminism, nothing that helped with health or wealth or peace. It seems like it was a pretty horrific place to live for the average person. I've seen some signs that Athens was especially terrible for women, even by the standards of the time, and I give a link. Next section, high-level takeaways from the summary of history. First takeaway, most of what happened, happened all at the same time in the last few minutes, figuratively. This project is what originally started to make me feel that we live in a special time, and that our place in history is more like sitting in a rocket ship that just took off than like playing our small part in the huge unbroken chain of generations. My summary of history devotes, well, my table version devotes, one column to the hundreds of thousands of years of prehistory, three columns to the first 6,000 or so years of civilization, two columns to the next 300 years, and six columns 
to the 200 or so years since. That implies that more has happened in the previous 200 years than in the previous million plus. I think that's right, not just recency bias. It seems very hard to summarize history with my lens without devoting massively more attention to these very recent periods. I've made this point before, and you'll see it showing up in pretty much any chart you look at of something important. Population, economic growth, rate of significant scientific discoveries, child mortality, human height, etc. And I link to all charts of all those. My summary gives a qualitative way of seeing it across many domains at once. Now, 200 years is about 10 generations. We live in an extraordinary time without much precedent. And because of this, there are ultimately pretty serious limits to how much we can learn from history. Next takeaway, history is a story. I sometimes get a vibe from history people that we should avoid imposing narratives on human history. There are so many previous societies, each with its own richness and complexity, that it's hard to make generalizations or talk about trends and patterns across the whole thing. That is not how I feel. It looks to me like if you're comparing an earlier period to a later one, you can be confident that the later period contains a higher world population and greater empowerment due to a greater stock of ideas, innovations, and technological capabilities. These trends seem very consistent and can reasonably be expected to generate other consistent trends as well. I think history as it's traditionally taught, or at least as I learned it way back in the 20th century, tends to focus on the key events and details of each time while only inconsistently situating them against the broader trends. To me, this is kind of like summarizing the Star Wars trilogy as follows. On the first day covered in the movie, it was warm and humid on Tatooine and hot and dry on Endor. On the second day, it was slightly cooler on Tatooine and hotter on Endor. On the third day, it rained on Tatooine and it was still hot and dry on Endor, etc., etc., to the final day covered in the movies. Done. That version of the story would not be inaccurate, but it would definitely lack something. Next takeaway, a lot of history through this lens seems unnecessarily hard to learn about. The table I made is extremely amateur and is probably missing a kajillion things. I had to furiously search Google and Wikipedia to fill in a lot of the cells. I'd love to live in a world where there were well-documented, comprehensive lists and timelines of the major events for empowerment and well-being. To give a sense for this, here are some things that would have been helpful for viewing history through this lens that I've been unable to find. First, systematic accounts, going back as far as possible, of when each major state or empire made official changes to things like women's rights, to own property, hold political power, vote, etc., formal religious freedom, formal treatment of different ethnic groups, legality and other treatment of homosexuality, etc. Second, collected estimates by region, empire, state, and period with citations of how many people were slaves, what percentage of marriages were arranged, etc. Third, comprehensive timelines with citations of major milestones for most of the rows in my table, and or narrative histories that focus on listing, explaining, and contextualizing the key milestones and otherwise being concise. An example would be Asimov's Chronology of Science and Discovery, and I linked to a piece I wrote on that previously, but I'd also like to see this for topics like gender relations. Next, histories of science focused on the discoveries that seem most likely to have contributed to real-world capabilities and quality of life, with explanations of these connections. As an example of what this would not be like, existing chemistry histories tend to list the discovery of each element. I've only listed things that seem like they would be reasonably straightforward to put together. Of course, there are a zillion more things I wish I could know about the past. Final high-level takeaway from this project. I don't know very much. 
I hope I've been clear about this throughout, but I want to mention it again before I wrap up the takeaways. Not only is this summary based on a limited amount of time from a non-expert, that's me, but the sources I've been able to find for this project shouldn't be taken as neutral or trustworthy either. I think there are roughly infinite ways in which they are likely biased due to the worldviews, identities, assumptions, etc. of the authors. For example, the previous section notes how much harder it's been to find long-run data and timelines on slavery and women's rights than on technological developments. Another thing that jumps out is that my summary ended up being heavily focused on the Western world. From what I've been able to gather, the Western world of the very recent past looks like where the most noteworthy human empowerment-related developments are concentrated. If that's indeed the case, I don't think this was inevitable. There were long periods of time where non-Western civilizations were contributing much more to science, technology, etc. than Western civilizations, but the scientific revolution of the 1500s and the industrial revolution of the 1800s began in the recent West, and once those happened, people in the West could have been best positioned to build on them for some period of time. But this could be another reflection of biases in how my sources report what was invented, and where and when. I've looked for evidence that this bias is the case and haven't found any, but my efforts are obviously extremely incomplete, and I'm especially skeptical that noteworthy art is as concentrated in the West as the sources I've consulted make it seem. The four high-level takeaways listed in this section are the four important-seeming observations I feel most confident about from this exercise, but most confident doesn't mean confident, and I'm always interested in feedback.